sometimes change helps us learn the true measure of our own strength, including our ability to adapt in new and exciting ways. Welcome to the Baby Brunch Parenting Series. It's brought to you by Brightrock, the provider of the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. This is a Baby Brunch Podcast. Janine Bull specializes in both individual and relationship therapy. And she's recently completed a postgraduate course in mindfulness-based interventions through the Institute of Mindfulness. Janine has been on our Baby Brunch podcast before where she's offered advice and was an ear to listen and helped us with practical examples of how to deal with everyday life. So Janine, in today's session, I want to... I want to go to questions that we've received. I want to go to to things we wonder about. You know, becoming parents, it's it's amazing. It's it's wonderful. It's something that I've always wanted to be. In fact, earlier this week we had another podcast session where I said to I spoke to Liz. I said to Liz, so if if parenting is so hard, why why do we even bother, you know? And we've come to the conclusion that being a parent, it's much more rewarding than in my case, than being not a parent. But a question that we, we got was, why is it awesome and overwhelming emotionally all at the same time? What is happening to us? The question that I got speaks specifically about how overwhelming it is at time to becoming a parent, but also how awesome it is. As someone who works with people every single day, as someone who works with emotions and feelings and that unpacks this with parents, what would you say to that? Yes, Ilana, and even as I as I listen to that question, I think what stays with me is how the listener has highlighted these two feelings at once. And I think it's very helpful to be able to hold that idea that we can actually have two feelings that are contradictory happening at the same time. And in this case, it is so wonderful to be a parent. And I can clearly remember you know, those experiences of just marveling at the awesome nature of this person that we now in relationship with. But at the same time, it can take us to these deep places of feeling um, overwhelmed, at times perhaps desperate, deep feelings of inadequacy. And that can happen almost at the same time. The person is saying what is happening to us. I, I would imagine that sometimes when you have a feeling you don't understand the emotion that you're feeling. I say this because my two-year-old came home the other day and she said, mommy's silly, Annie happy. And it's like, it's like the school is teaching them now how to, how to name a feeling, which to me is really awesome. I mean, on my fridge as well, I've got five emotions, you know, these little faces. And it's actually there for my, for my four-year-old. But my younger baby could come there and identify the different emotions because that's obviously what they're learning. Why as adults is it sometimes hard for us to verbalize that, that you're angry, that you're overwhelmed, or that you can feel more than one thing at the same time? Yes, it is difficult. And I think a lot of that comes from the judgments that we have around feelings. So we can judge ourselves for having a feeling. I think realistically also when we become parents, there's a lot of change that happens and it can be extremely challenging. And so it does take time to actually process what we are feeling and to allow the feeling to come to the surface so that we can name it. So mixed up feelings is quite a common experience when we're overwhelmed. It's as though we actually don't even know what we're feeling and we need time to process and identify what we're feeling. 
the naming is very helpful. Once we can sort of notice and name our feeling, that's the first the first step. Do we say that it's okay? Is it okay to feel what we feel? Or do we do we say it's not okay? And and I heard you talk about judgment. I mean, immediately you want to go that feeling angry or feeling overwhelmed is bad. Exactly. And I think we're conditioned to have value judgment around feelings. So we view some feelings as good and some feelings as, as bad. And particularly when it comes to parenting, we can almost judge ourselves for having a negative feeling, say, towards our child. So I think it is extremely important to separate the feeling from the person. So an emotion is an experience. It's actually a neurological reaction. Often we feel the effect of it in our body. It's a moving process. We feel it and it comes and it goes. And that is separate from the person. So to hold that concept of I am a person and I am having a feeling, it sounds simple, but it's a, it's a very important shift. So that the person is something separate from the feeling. I'm not a bad person for having a negative feeling towards my child. Wow. Okay, so you're saying separate the two. So how can you not have guilt around feeling overwhelmed or even emotional when there's a small baby and you're really tired? And how do you separate it? Yes, you use the word guilt, and I think at times that can be quite a deep feeling um, of almost shame, where you end up feeling as though you are a bad person because you are having a difficult feeling. So particularly if we look at the more defined conditions like um, postnatal depression, it's not uncommon for moms suffering from postnatal depression to actually even have a feeling of, I don't like this baby, or I don't want this baby. And that is a shocking feeling. That's not the sort of thing that we would want to feel. So when it happens, we're almost shocked that we are feeling that feeling. Um, and that's when it becomes extremely challenging to not be judgmental towards ourselves for having the feeling, but to understand that it is part of a process and we are having a feeling, but it doesn't mean that we are bad. Wow. You just touched on something that I want to speak about next, which is postnatal depression. It's a really big topic. And even at our baby brunch seminars and at our, at our shows or workshops or gatherings, I experienced this one thing that people would come along and, and enjoy the morning. But the one thing that people took a lot from and was really encouraged by was people speaking out about feelings, right? And specifically about the one topic, which, which is depression. And the reason I say it's such a big word is because before it was really hard to speak about it. And, and now it's becoming a lot easier to admit, you know, I, I was depressed or I, I'm, I'm feeling sad or I, I actually did have postnatal depression or I didn't or my friend did or my mother did. It's, it's almost becoming a little bit more acceptable to, to talk about it. Becoming parents, and we've established this, is amazing. But talk me through postnatal depression. What is the difference between being sad and being depressed? How do you know the difference? Yes, I think it is an important um, distinction. If I can also just add for listeners the concept of an antenatal depression or postnatal depression, they are very similar Sometimes the antenatal depression does get a bit neglected. 
So it's important just to know that it is real for some people. And that is basically pre the birth. So the mom's pregnant and is about to give birth and she will have similar symptoms to the postnatal depression, which is after the birth. So the birthing process is a very significant event. And as that, we can see the depression that follows that almost as a reactive depression. So sometimes I see the depression that follows that as a system shutdown. So suddenly we've been hit by this overwhelming amount of feelings and experiences. And unconsciously, we have a shutdown process. In other words, the, at an automatic unconscious level, our whole um, system is saying can't do sorry and they try and we then try and shut down so somebody who's depressed is actually struggling to get in touch with their feelings they're not feeling good feelings they're not feeling bad feelings they're just feeling a numbness or they would describe feeling nothing or a deadness that's another description somebody who's feeling sad on the other hand is in touch with their feelings so they can say I'm feeling sad and if you stay with that sadness, the sadness will come, it will get a little bit stronger, it might come out in tears, they can express it, talk about it, and then the sadness will flow and fade. That is a, that is a healthy emotional experience. That is something that's helpful and healthy. Whereas the condition of depression is shutting down on that helpful, healthy process of feelings emerging and then being processed, and we let, let go of the feeling. How does one treat the shame? How does one treat, I mean, how, how do you get over it? You, you're feeling sad, uh, you're a parent, you have a new baby, and yes, there's happy times, but you're feeling sad. How do you treat the shame or the look what I'm feeling, look what I've done, that, that whole, that pocket? Yes, so if, if, we, if we say, so if I can just list a few of the symptoms. So the person suffering from postnatal depression or having the so-called condition, we need to look at it as a continuum. So on the one end is the milder version, which is almost just the baby blues. Uh, less intense, doesn't last very long, three days, a few weeks, to the other extreme where it lasts for a long time and it's quite intense. So on that continuum, it would be low mood, low energy, perhaps increased tearfulness, Difficulty sleeping, problems with eating. Um, there are probably other symptoms that people would be familiar with, but one of them is also the negative thoughts and negative feelings. And that's where the judgment comes in, that when these negative thoughts and feelings emerge, we feel bad about it. Your question in terms of how do we handle the guilt, perhaps it is an education thing where the, where the loved ones around the individual need to understand that it is going to pass, that it is a condition. And if I can put it from what I've heard from people who have suffered from, from this type of depression, what they're asking is this concept of hear me, understand my feelings. So in other words, hear my feelings, hear what I am feeling. The, the need to share and to be heard is great. Understand what I'm feeling um, and then don't judge me. So essentially, they, they need to be heard, they need to be understood. And instead of the judgment, I think it's, it's just the kindness and comfort. A lot of them just need the comfort, a hug, reassurance, comfort. Less so advice, that there is no advice. I think it is just that the closeness and the comfort is very much what they need. Does one medicate uh, sadness? I don't, I don't think so, simply because for me, the sadness 
although it's a difficult experience, um, I'm almost excited by sadness because the person is in touch and it's good to be in in touch. It's alive. You're alive. You're getting in touch with your feelings and that that feeling channel needs to be open and it needs to flow because it's that same process that's going to help us feel intensely good feelings. So we want to be an alive feeling being. We don't necessarily want to shut down on those feelings. Obviously, some people feel um, degrees of intensity that they need to learn to regulate. But we do need to view emotions and feelings in and of themselves as as a healthy event. How do we go about medicating depression? I mean, what if you say, I I say this with a lot of, um, wow, I I don't even have words. We, We recently lost a friend who we didn't even know was depressed and it came out only afterwards that even though he's this remarkable being at work and he's an achiever that he was actually depressed is it something that you that you medicate even though you only feel it when you're alone and perhaps you don't feel it at work or in front of other people or do you feel it and you just put up a show you know you Pretend it's not there. Look, it's it's a complex issue. The the put up a show and pretend it's not there is perhaps a, a sad fact of our society. And I think as a whole, we need to learn to be able to um, almost embrace and be more accepting of people and their vulnerability, people and their struggles and their negativity, so that there isn't this expectation that we always find always together, and that will allow people to be more open. Essentially, when somebody's feeling depressed, one of the the descriptions is this deep sense of disconnection. So actually, what they need is to reconnect. They need to be close to people. They're feeling disconnected from themselves and disconnected from others. So the mom with postnatal depression actually needs people. She needs to be um, listened to. She needs to have deeper conversations to share and to feel reconnected with people that she is close to. The issue of medication is obviously um, difficult and it's something that does need to be considered, but it's not the only solution. So for me, it's never medication in isolation. It's, it's medication as well as the sense of getting in touch with yourself, your feelings and being able to work with them differently, as well as being more connected and in touch with other people. Isolation is a big problem for somebody who's depressed. And, and I, I like what you've been saying because, I mean, with our first question, they talked about becoming parents, the overwhelming feeling of emotions, uh, the guilt. Uh, also, in this case, where it talks about uh, postnatal depression, what's the difference between sadness and depression? Uh, a lot of the time you, you say that connection or being around people or speaking out or connecting to your feelings by talking more is part of the solution. Definitely. But if I can also just add in there, it it certainly can be tough and it's something we need to be quite um, sort of reflective about is the the sharing of the negative feelings. It can be quite difficult for those people around us. So if we think of a mom who, who has postnatal depression and she will share her feelings and thoughts, say, with her husband or with her own mother. Now, hubby and mom are wanting her to be okay. So for them to maybe hear the the more difficult feelings of, I don't want to do this, I don't want to be here, um, I don't like this, might be very difficult for the, the now new dad who has to go to work and leave her 
um, it might be hard for him to hear those sort of feelings. And that's where one has to be um, thoughtful about the how and the when of the sharing, as well as maybe to consider speaking to a counsellor or therapist um, to unpack it and get more in touch with it. So that when we share it, say, with the people that are close to the situation, we can try and walk this line of, if I can put it like this, Ilana, um, sharing is different from dumping. We can't just dump our negativity on the new dad because he will then panic and potentially try and shut down and say, oh, no, you can't feel that. Or no, don't say that. Or, or he might distance because for him, it then becomes overwhelming because he himself has also got lots of changes. He's also struggling. He might have his own emotions that he's battling with. Um, so we need to be quite thoughtful. So sharing is very important. But of course, we always look at the whole picture and it's a relationship made up of, of them and us. And we need to be able to work that process in a helpful way. You almost answered the third question by itself because the third question asks, what are practical things to do to cope with this feeling of being overwhelmed? And I mean, you, you literally, I love what you said about dumping and sharing. You know, there's a, there's a big difference in, in the two. What are other examples of, of coping? What are other examples of coping with this miracle baby that has arrived, but all you're feeling is sadness or our discussion of today, feeling depressed? Yes, of course, remembering that um, with a change, there's always going to be loss. Wow. Okay. Wait. So with, with a change, there will always be loss. So the huge benefits, of course, we know that when we have a baby and it's very much what we want. There's, there's a sort of simple little phrase that I sometimes hold and it's this concept of grieving is a healing feeling. So grieving is, is maybe a different way of, of describing that happens. And if we just look at the maybe somebody who's now first time and it's her first baby, you know, she's come often from a workplace where she's efficient, often adequate in her job. She gets affirmation, even if the affirmation is just a paycheck. She's being affirmed. She's around people. She's got a measure of control of freedom in, in terms of choices. And then she finds herself stuck at home with the baby. Suddenly, there's no freedom. There's no control. There's zero affirmation. Um, there's, what sort of reward is there when you've got a particularly a colicky baby? It doesn't feel very rewarding most of the time. And so the losses are actually huge, even though there are a lot of benefits and she can be deeply grateful for being able to have a child. And she knows that there are many people out there that are not as blessed as she is. She can't get away from the reality that she's lost a lot. And I think that grieving, we do need to make space for it. And when we considering the, the area of mindfulness and emotions, I find that there's sort of like a helpful mindful map. I don't know if you'd like me just to describe that. Please do that because because the more we talk about sharing, it almost feels like there's different layers. So there's there's the the dumping or the, the conversation about my feelings. And then there's the how-to almost. There's a how-to guide of, of how to discuss your feelings with people. It's almost like, from what I gather from what you're saying, it's almost like you want to say to someone, okay, I'm sad, but this is my level of sadness. I'm not sad. I'm actually just cross. And I'm feeling teary, but, but some of it is joy. It's not just all uh, sadness and I feel hopeless. Mm, mm. So it sounds, even from your description now, there's what you're hinting on is the sense of doing a little bit of, of self-examination or self-work before we go towards sharing the difficult stuff. Obviously, if we're just spontaneously sharing, 
more superficial stuff. We don't need to be that reflective. But when we go towards sharing something deep, vulnerable, or potentially difficult for the other person to hear, it is helpful that we do a little bit of self-work. And that's where I feel mindfulness comes in very helpfully. Um, so for myself, I, I've got a, a little sort of point system. And it's first that sort of stop. We have to sort of stop and know that self, there's something going on with me. This is the sort of thing I'd be saying to myself. And then I'd need to sort of separate myself for a moment. So it's a stop and turning towards. We name and notice or notice and name. So we notice and name the feeling. So it's a turning towards us inner world. We notice and we name the feeling. Then what is important is this concept of allow and accept. And at this point, we almost want to be strict with that judging voice in us. We are just going to allow. No feeling is bad or good. We're just going to create an open space. So as we're turning towards our inner world, it's literally for me, sometimes it feels as though I'm just going to now create a bit of space and let's see what is actually going on. And then into that space, we'll start seeing, okay, I'm feeling sad. So let's see what else is going on. So it's just allowing and accepting what comes up. And then the curious is a helpful one for me because if we are curious about what we're feeling, then we will find that we don't judge. Because it's quite difficult for us to not judge. It's such a natural reaction to go towards judgment. So for myself, to take this more investigatory, curious um, attitude is a very helpful way I have found not to immediately judge myself. So then we don't judge and we move towards being kind and accepting towards what's emerging. If we can move through that process where we notice, name, allow, and non-judge it, we then get to feel that we, we start owning it. So then we can move into that space of, okay, this is me and this is what I'm feeling, almost as though we now own it and we have this, and it's then that we're ready to share it. When we're in a more sort of owning position of what's going on for us, then we can talk about the feeling that we are having. Otherwise, what happens is we, we tend to talk in a way that makes the other person feel that we're making this problem their problem. So that's where the dumping comes in, where we almost feel helpless and it's like taking this problem and dumping it on the other person's lap. We want to be able to hold the problem on our lap and talk about it. And I want to go back on this because I, I love the fact that you say we, we're doing a bit of self-search. So you do a bit of self-search before you just say, I'm cross. I'm going to leave you. Yeah. I'm going to, I don't want this baby or what, whatever, whatever you say that comes out of you. So, so I, I want to go back. Let's say you are overwhelmed, you are sad, you are feeling something and you want to tell someone. So let's say you stop and you realize that your heart is really sore and that you want your baby, but you're feeling overwhelmed. So let's work with that quickly. What do you do next? So if, if I can go back on what you've said, you've already done the stop and you've already acknowledged that you've got both. I want the baby, but I'm feeling overwhelmed. So I think even that is helpful because remembering, of course, that we're in the moment that we feel intensely. Usually when we have intense feeling, I often describe it as an old brain experience. So we deeply activate it and our limbic system in our brain literally has different layers. And the older layers are those more primitive layers that we were born with, and it's more instinctual. 
what's really important when we're having an intense feeling and it's an old brain feeling, then we have the typical fight or flight reaction where we almost want to run away because it's just too much. And we'll also have the feeling of it's never going to get better and it's all bad. So as soon as you can stop and notice and reduce some of that intensity, then your brain will start being able to say, well, this isn't the whole story. I feel bad now, but I might feel better tomorrow. And maybe this, this baby's driving me crazy right now, but it doesn't mean that I don't love the baby. That's already when you're starting to be a little bit more rational. And in terms of you already at step two. So step one is where you are overwhelmed and you feel so intense that you feel like running away. That would be step one. Step two is when you started to reduce that feeling a little bit and you can bring in a little bit of maybe. Well, maybe this is not the end of the world or maybe it'll get better. Or maybe I do also love the baby. You do love the baby. You love the baby. <laughs> yes. So that's already step two. So I think to explore it a bit more, like what else am I feeling? Because remembering that feelings come in almost, I call them emotional bouquets. There's always more than one feeling. Behind the anger is hurt. Um, behind the sadness could be fear. Often behind anger is fear and hurt. Um, so we need to just figure out what else that we are feeling. Absolutely. I find the, the inner child metaphor very helpful because sometimes it is almost helpful to see ourselves as having a bevy of little children. So you can be having a little sort of angry little girl moment um, or a scared child moment. So we notice what else we're feeling. And then in terms of sharing it, it would probably be um, choosing. The timing is quite important, particularly in a marriage. When he comes home from work, you rush to him before he's put his bag down and you say, I'm feeling terrible. <laughs> When when it's when he's asleep, you wake him up. <laughs> there we go. When he's just about to go to sleep, you say, "Can we talk?" <laughs> so so timing is an important part of sharing. Oh, okay. I'm getting it right because already I didn't say dumping. Did you? Yeah. So okay. So 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 your timing has to be. What is a good time? So, so that needs to be worked out. Um, it does differ, but I, I find that often. Um, people need a little bit of warning. There's something that's been troubling me. I love that. Okay, wait. So, so you you tell partner or husband or, or wife, um, I I have something that I need to share with you that is about my feelings. Is that a statement? Okay. Absolutely, because we need to remember that not everybody can just flip into um, emotional talk. Some people can go there at the drop of a hat. Other people almost need to brace themselves that okay, here comes something vulnerable. Let me listen carefully. Let me be there. Um, so a little bit of warning. Hey, here comes something deep. <laughs> so the person can almost prep themselves. And then you choose to share what you've already worked or like, like we've said, self-search. You've already self-searched what you want to. This is really valuable because even in the workplace, like you don't walk into your boss's office and go, I, I want to walk out on the business because I am tired of all of you. You kind of nitpick what you want to discuss or fight about, right? Yes, absolutely. So you, you get a little bit of clarity in yourself first. But then, as you, you said that, I think you highlighted another um, important um, point is the you and the I. It is invaluable it to stick with I rather than you. We've got a natural tendency to focus on the external 
that is a problem. So in this case, it could be the baby that never stops crying or we will find something wrong in the environment and we sort of focus on that or something wrong in, the, in, in our husband or partner, of course. That could also be a problem. And that could then be a focus. But as soon as we come with a you or an external, it's a very different experience than if we say I. So I have been struggling with, I've been noticing difficult feelings that I feel would be valuable to share. Um, it is better than a you approach. Or is there something wrong in this environment approach? We, we've spoken about leading up to the discussion or talking about feelings. And all of this is really valuable. And thanks for your time again, Janine. How, how do you end it? How do you end a conversation? What, what if it becomes heated? What if, it, what if you don't get what you... I wanted him to listen. I wanted her to listen. What if you don't get what you wanted? Yes, and, and often this can happen. I think the one thing that is helpful is this concept of a meta-conversation, which is talking about the talk. So if it, if it goes pear-shaped, it's probably better to call it look sooner rather than later with a statement, this is not working for us right now. Can we leave it and talk about another time? Or I'm noticing this is upsetting you. That wasn't my intention. Do you mind if we just leave it for now and try and talk about it another time? Then when things have simmered down, we can take an opportunity to talk about talking. So, you know, yesterday when I spoke about it, my intention was this. I just wanted to share what was going on. For me, I didn't have any expectation that you should do anything or even just more open than that. What happened for you yesterday when I spoke about it would be helpful for me to understand. So that type of question is talking about the talking because that will give us more insight into almost the workings of the other person who's on the receiving end of us in conversation. Um, and from that, we can learn how to then approach the next conversation. I know that we started talking about the overwhelming feeling of emotions. We talked about the question around postnatal depression and sadness and the difference and how to notice. Um, also practical things of how to cope with, with being overwhelmed. But do you think this unpacking and conversation, the conversation of sharing feelings is important in a marriage or in a partnership just generally, even if there isn't signs of sadness or depression? Definitely. I think it is. Obviously, it's going to bring closeness and um, that sort of intimate partner, we want to constantly work on being close. And the way we work on being close is having these more emotional or deeper conversations. So it is vitally important in that intimate relationship to be able to have these closer conversations. It's actually what keeps our intimacy alive, if I can put it like that. But it's not just with those partners. I think we need to remember also with our closer friends, with even just the community of support that we have. There's so many moms out there that struggle. And for them to also be able to talk about the difficult things when they do encounter each other, I think is helpful or even to be able to share with, with siblings and parents in the family community. I think that, that that is also important because at all of these points, it's going to bring opportunity to have these moments of closeness. This is, wow. But it's amazing how something that you think pushes people apart is actually something that could bring them together, right? Yes, and it's exactly that process of bringing together that can actually bring some of that comfort and healing to the person who is having the difficult feelings.
So it becomes the the healing balm, really. The the conversations is the healing balm to the to the sadness or to the depression. Well, the one nugget that I got from today is is that grieving is a healing feeling. Like to acknowledge, sure, we've got a lot of work to do, man. <laughs> like, hello, self. <laughs> There we go. Well, listen, we've got we've got three more questions, but we don't have time for, for this, I think, this time. We'd love to have you back another time to discuss it. One of the questions is about fighting in the marriage. There's a small baby, and now there's a lot more fights. Uh, one of it is about custody. It's something that I think everyone who has moved on from a partner or divorce uh, can relate to. So we'd love to discuss that another time. But thanks for discussing these change moments and hopefully we can become better parents and acknowledge our own feelings and have a healthy and happy family. Great. Only a pleasure and I look forward to us speaking again. Thanks, Janine. Bye-bye. Baby Brunch, the parenting series is brought to you by BrightRock. The first ever needs matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. If there's something that I've learned through Baby Brunch is that becoming a parent changes you. It changes everything from your sleeping schedule and your finances to your future plans. Bright Truck, cover that can take you from carefree singleton to working parents to empty nester. So you get precisely the cover you need and only pay for what you get. So speak to your financial advisor or visit brightrock.co.za. Bright Rock Life is an authorized financial services provider and registered insurer. Terms and conditions apply.